DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our Insider Membership. For just $29.99 per year, you get the Insider Membership plus our Rookie Draft Kit. Insider Membership itself is $24.99, just the Rookie Guide is $9.99. DFW is where Dynasty Football is a way of life. You can dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership includes all access to Insider Articles, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, IDP, which is over a thousand articles per year, up to three a day on average. Includes Dynasty expert rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, Commission assistance, advice for bylaws, scoring, and setup on new leagues on MLF. The 2015 Rookie Guide is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider Membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the Top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 143 skill position, 106 page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL draft day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the combine, includes guide along updates after the NFL draft, adjustments made through training camp and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests and giveaways. Each will enter you into a, a raffle for a brand new iPod, which will be given away at, during halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 free roll tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings, where you, the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest, where... Over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership, just $30 a year. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse. Can you hear me? Hello? I can hear you, Josh. All right. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. We should have Mike Krafik and Nick Wagner on the line. Are we, both, are we all three here? Mike? See, I think I think I'm just pulling Nick up. Okay. I, I can hear everybody. All right. All right. Okay. Sorry about that. We had some technical difficulties. Uh, Mike, Mike was nice enough to uh, patch everybody through. Um, Mike, you got so he. When Aaron calls in in five minutes, we should uh, you should just be able to do the same. Click him through there. All right, Mike. Everything look good there for you? Yeah, I think I got it. Okay. All right. So very sorry about that. The. Uh, Internet in South Dakota is clearly not working right now. So uh, screw that, and I just lost something as well. Um, but anyway, okay. 
Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. I am very sorry I don't have anything in front of me, but I am Joshua Johnson. Uh, Nick, Nick Wagner is also with me today, and Mike is thankfully saving the day here as we get going here a little bit late. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about uh, have a Dynasty depth charger, but we're going to probably have to wait for a little while on that. Uh, Aaron Freeman is going to be joining us from falcfans.com. Um, Assuming he gets my text message, that is that is the number to call. I'm having some problems with there, but he's going to talk about. Uh, uh, excuse me. He's going to talk about Devonte Freeman versus Tevin Coleman, and I'll get my variance here eventually, guys. Uh, we're also going to have a dynasty dilemma as we pit Ladarius Green versus Eric Ebron. Uh, I guess Mike's our judge today. We're going to talk about sleepers as well do some dynasty trade analysis, talk uh, David Cobb versus Bishop Sankey, since David Cobb is currently hurt. Um, We'll attempt to break down my 12-team redraft, if I can do that. Talk a little bit about the Bills' uh, IDP effect, now that they've shifted back to the Um, 4-3. We'll probably cut best number 26, and then we'll also have uh, Nick Rance a little bit later on. So we'll get to best number 26 uh, tomorrow, because I need the Internet for that. Uh, But anyway... Mike, if you just want to let me know when Aaron comes in, if Aaron jumps in on the left side there, that would be great. Um, and uh, we'll we'll get going from here. Well, we have a dynasty depth charger today, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, Brandon Coleman. I also wanted to talk about this uh, uh, this tight end from Arizona that's gaining some steam. I don't even know how – I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his first name. Uh, Mike, did I say your last name right, speaking of correct? You got it. All right, all right, awesome. Um, so uh, I, his last name, this guy from Arizona, his last name is Moa, I believe, M-O-H, M-O-M-A-H. Um, so uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce his first name, but he's a six foot seven converted wide receiver that Arizona is making to tight end, and he's making some waves. Uh, so just if you really, really desperate, like you lost Jason Morrow and Julius Thomas in a 16-team league like I did last uh, Monday and Tuesday, that's uh, that's the guy for you. So check it out. Uh, Mercedes Lewis is also another guy that's available. Uh, but anyway, Brandon Coleman. Uh, so I know Brandon, Brandon Cooks is the next T.Y. Hilton and all that jazz, and Mike Josh Hill is – Hype is still smoldering, but look out for Brandon Coleman. He's he's a legit six foot six and a very bendy two hundred and twenty five pounds. Uh, has the grace of a basketball player, but he has real NFL toughness. He, he he throws blocks too, which is pretty impressive for a wide receiver. That he looks kind of lanky. He doesn't you know six foot six two twenty five. That's a lot of that's not a lot of weight on that frame. So, but he does throw pretty good solid blocks. After a year on the Saints practice squad, he should be motivated to elevate himself to wide receiver number three. He could also find a niche as a move tight end, and he is not adverse to blocking, like I said earlier. Uh, Plus his slitheriness, I know that's not a word, but I just made it up anyway. Uh, Inside the red zone, his slitheriness inside the red zone could be very Jimmy Graham-esque. I'm not saying he's the next Jimmy Graham, and I'm not saying he's replacing Jimmy Graham. I'm saying he can do maybe some of the things that Jimmy Graham did in this offense. Uh, Nick, any thoughts there on Brandon Coleman? 
Well, yeah, it pretty much looks like he's got the number three slot uh, locked down there in New Orleans. So you got to love anybody who's catching passes from Drew Brees. Uh, the fact that he was able to beat out Nick Toon, who a couple months ago people were uh, a little bit there's a little little hype on him. Uh, now now that Toon has been released, I think Brandon Coleman is definitely worth an ad if he's not already picked up in your league. Okay, Mike, any thoughts there on Mr. Coleman? No, I absolutely agree with what both of you guys said. I think with Jimmy Graham's gone and Kenny Stills as well, there's going to be a lot of missing targets uh, to go around, and I think he's going to be able to handle some of those. Actually, I'm seeing we got our next caller coming in, so I'm going to patch him through now. Okay, perfect. Aaron, are you there? I am here. Awesome. It's Aaron Freeman from FeltFans.com. Sorry, I did not reply to your message this morning. I am having some massive Internet failures on my end. So if you are listening, if you're listening, I guess I'm going to say, if you're listening in my area on midcode.com, you're probably not because uh, it's not working. So whatever. But anyway, (laughs) um, we had a severe rainstorm last Thursday, and it hasn't been working quite since. So if you want to shift the blame. well, we asked Aaron to come by today. Actually, he's returning to the podcast, so uh, thank you very much for returning. Uh, and he uh, he writes for FelkFans.com, and he, he knows his Atlanta Falcons, and I guess maybe for my money, the second-best uniforms in the league. I'm a, I'm a little bit partial to my Oakland Raiders, but I, I do appreciate a good uh, red and black combination. It was kind of my high school alma mater, too. So, uh, But like I said, Aaron's returning to the podcast from FelkFans.com. He is going to... Uh, give us the lowdown on what exactly is happening with Devontae Freeman versus uh, Tevin Coleman. And just to maybe break the ice here, since I'm rambling and really serious, since I've had all these technical problems, uh, just tell me once, Aaron, did you accidentally refer to Tevin Coleman as Tevin Campbell, like maybe early on like I did, or was that just me? Oh, no, no, I definitely did. Everybody did at least once. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, it took me about 15 to 20 times before I needed to correct myself. But anyway, what, what do you got for us on the Tevin Coleman versus Devontae Freeman? Well, Tevin Coleman made his uh, NFL debut uh, last Saturday against the Miami Dolphins. It didn't go particularly well. He had a, a couple of nice runs, but the uh, run blocking was so terrible in that game that you know there was a couple of downs where – he got dropped for a loss, so I think his stat line was pretty paltry um, by the end of the night. Devontae Freeman um, has yet to play this preseason, and he's been already ruled out for this Thursday's game against the Baltimore Ravens, so we won't be able to see him until week one against the Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, right now, the biggest concern is less on those two players um, and more on the offensive line and their inability to open holes. I think the offensive starting offensive line and the Falcons have rotated like six or seven guys with that unit, but so far this preseason, the starting offensive line is only averaging 0.7 yards per carry um, through you know the 12 or so series that they've played in three games. And, and that's really the bigger concern than the two running backs, but right now um, the hope is that once those two guys get healthy and, and are on the field, that some of those uh, gaps um, that the offensive line has rarely created up till now, but they'll be able to exploit some of those um, once we get to the regular season. Uh, Nick, any, any questions there for Aaron? 
Well, you mentioned that uh, Tevin Coleman has only played in one preseason game and uh, Freeman has yet to appear in a game. Are there any other running backs there that we uh, fantasy owners should be keeping an eye on? Well, Anton Smith is a, is a player that pretty much every time he touches the ball, he scores a touchdown. And <laughs> the concern is um, whether or not how many touches he, is he going to get this season. Last year it was cut short by a broken leg and he's been limited this preseason in the ham- with a hamstring injury. Um, at this juncture, the expectation is that he'll get a lot less touches than Freeman and Coleman do this year, but he's one of those players that if he does do what he did last season, which was basically score a touchdown every time he touched the ball, uh, we might see as the season progresses him get a little bit more usage in the offense. Uh, Mike, any, any thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I was just wondering, so Kyle Shanahan has been known to get elite production out of less than elite talent at the running back position. I was wondering what you saw Devonta Freeman's feeling as if he ends up being the lead back in, in this offense. Well, to be honest, most of this offseason in this summer, I've sort of thought that between Freeman and Coleman, it would be a similar dynamic to what we saw last year in Cleveland with Isaiah Crowell and, and Terrence West in the second half of the season where the Falcons would just ride the hot hand and, and would alternate between them. So it's it's hard for me to sort of see either one of those guys having a, a big uh, monster production uh, year. And the fact that neither of them have really – done anything this preseason thanks to hamstring injuries and whatnot and then lack of usage it doesn't i haven't seen enough right now to basically get me off that prediction so in all honesty i I would be surprised if the falcons if any individual running back the falcons have this year gets a thousand yards but i think both are probably primed to be in that 700 800 yard range uh, by the end of the year if they're splitting carries do you see anybody right now as a front runner for like, let's say, Devontae's the the third and short guy, or Coleman's the third and long guy? You know, is there a third down receiving back? Is there a short yardage back? Or is it just going to be kind of played by ear since they both have not much much time so far logged in the preseason? I think the expectation has always been Devontae would get the third down reps just because he's been there a year longer. He didn't really have that role uh, last season because of Chocolate Rogers, but he, he's now in Chicago, and that really opens the door for somebody to step up as a third down back. Uh, Freeman's pass protection skills were one of his uh, biggest strengths when he was at Florida State, and so the expectation now is that once he gets healthy, he'll be that main go-to guy. I think eventually Coleman, you know, as most rookie running backs are, um, they're a little, you know, the learning curve in terms of pass protection is a little steep. And so maybe by the end of the year, we might see Coleman get more opportunities in the passing game. But I think primarily it's going to be Freeman as being the, the go-to guy. And then when, you know, they want to change the pace, they want that long speed um, that Coleman has, then they'll, they'll go to him. Okay. Um, since we we got you on, and I didn't really prepare you for it, but uh, what what do you how are you feeling about uh, Leonard Hankerson versus Justin Hardy right now? 
Well, it, it's been very clear that Hankerson is the number three guy right now. And there's been so – Hankerson has been pressed so many people that now there's talk of maybe he could pass Roddy White as the number two option in the offense. I don't see that happening right as of yet. Um, Matt Ryan has a, a ton of confidence, a ton of trust in Roddy White. They've been playing together for seven years now. Um, so it, it's it's a, still a sizable gap between that number two and number three guy. But so far what we've seen in the preseason is that when the Falcons do go to three wide receivers, Hankerson is clearly going to be that third option. And it, it's not even guaranteed that a, a Hardy will be the fourth guy in that group with uh, what Devin Hester can do as well um, and the versatility he brings with his speed to, to stretch defenses. But Hankerson is, is poised for probably his best season the the question is whether or not how how good a season is he going to have is he going to have one of those years where you know he's um approaching um you know 50 or 60 receptions or is he more the typical third receiver and, and gets 30 or 40 catches so that's that's the big question in the air but optimism is pretty high right now that it'll be uh more of the uh the former where you see a, a high amount of production this year for Hankerson. okay um, I guess one more is 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 Jacob Tammy going to be be the the tight end there, or are you going to see you kind of see a mix of people? Well, the interesting thing about Tammy was that he has really not been utilized at all in this preseason. I think he's had two targets um, the entire preseason. Um, I think both of them were just sort of quarterbacks scrambling from pressure and just throwing it in his general direction as opposed to really targeting Fox. But the the thing is, uh, the optimism is that once we get to the regular season and, and the Falcons, you know, are not, you know, evaluating as they do in preseason, they're actually running their true offense. We'll see Tammy get a lot more looks, um, particularly on third downs where because of the presence of, of players on the outside like Julio Jones and like Roddy White who are going to draw a lot of attention, Tammy's going to get a lot of one-on-one situations over the middle of the defense, and as he did in Denver with uh, Peyton Manning back in 2012 and in the few instances the last couple of years when Julius Thomas has been out with injury, he's been a, a go-to option for Peyton Manning on third downs, and I think that's going to be how the Falcons use him. So he may not have a sort of this monster season, but I think he's going to be considered an asset for the Falcons because Matt Ryan really missed having – that option to go to in the middle of the defense um, last season with the loss of Tony Gonzalez and, and the sort of uh, absence of Levine Toilolo, who really didn't really provide that um, last season. So I think Tammy's going to be, you know, even though he hasn't really done anything this preseason, I think as we get into the regular season, he'll be a, a bigger part of the offense. Okay. Uh, Nick, Nick, any questions there about the – the receiving core, the tight ends? Well, uh, you say that Tammy's going to be a bigger part of the offense. Do you see him starting over Toliolo, or do you think uh, Toliolo's blocking abilities give him the edge as far as uh, getting more snaps than Tammy? Oh, no, it's definitely a lot that Tammy's going to start. And the reality is Toliolo right now is working third on the depth chart behind Tammy and Tony Moriaki. Uh Now, that could change because Tony Moriaki has an injury history. But right now, the Falcons seem to like Tammy's receiving ability and Tony Moyaki's blocking ability. If Toilolo is going to get any real looks, it's going to be in that similar role as uh, we saw a couple of years ago with Joseph Fourier in Detroit, where he's basically just a red zone option, and the Falcons will utilize his 6A frame in certain red zone packages to try to exploit that. But right now, 
uh, Toilo is pretty firmly the third tight end on the depth chart, and, and unless he gets those red zone looks, it's probably not going to be um, a big option for the Falcons offense this year. All right, Mike, any questions there? Uh, mine would be more just about the, the entire team and what your prediction is for how this team will do this year in 2015 with the new coaching staff and, and some of the players uh, that they got coming back this year. Well, I, I've always been optimistic about their chances, largely because they'll get a, a you know, the new coaching staff is, is bringing in a, a whole different energy, and I think this team was really looking for that last season and didn't get it from the Mike Smith's staff. Uh, they also benefit from having a really easy schedule. Uh, everybody knows that the NFC South is not exactly a juggernaut conference. They're playing the AFC South, and outside of Indianapolis and maybe Houston, you're not looking at any of those teams as being um, – dominant teams. The NFC East is a tough division, but um, I think, you know, we'll we'll get an opportunity to see early in this season how the Falcons match up against teams like the Eagles and, and Cowboys and Giants as they play them, you know, uh, the first three games of the season. And I, I don't think, um, other than that, I really do feel like the Falcons are, with the loss of Calvin Benjamin in Carolina, and I think New Orleans is really not the team that they once were with all the the turnover they've had on on the offensive line at their skill positions and the struggles of their defense. I really do think this is the division. um, The Falcons can win this division, and they should be the front runners, even though I know based off of the last two seasons they won't get a lot of um, recognition from outside uh, sources. But I I do think the Falcons are poised to have a a winning season and and make the playoffs this year. Basically, if, if they can uh, win a playoff game and get to the second round and, and get you know beat by the Seahawks or whoever the NFC favorite is, probably the Seahawks, that would be a very successful season for the Falcons this year. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very optimistic, but some of the struggles they had against Miami, particularly with the offensive line, do give you a little bit of concern that when they face teams that have a, a premium pass rush, like the Dolphins have, and other teams like Houston, Minnesota, um, and Philadelphia, and, and potentially Dallas, that those teams could give them a lot of trouble this year. Okay. Well, I appreciate you answering all of our questions, even though some of them were on the fly, just as you started talking about your running back situation, maybe think about all your other position battles there. So hopefully we can uh, we passed along some insight for some fantasy owners out there. Um, Devin Coleman is my guy, man. I, I really, really like him, and I think he's going to be super successful. I did not, however, get to get him in any of my drafts, so we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Since I didn't get him, he'll probably be absolutely amazing, and I hopefully, hopefully, your Falcons can benefit from it. So, thank you so much for joining us again. It's AaronFreemanFalcFans.com. dot com. If you need to find out something about the Falcons, that's where you need to go. Thank you, Aaron, and have a great day. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Um, Aaron is also. I wanted to thank him. Are you still there? No, he's not there. He's also part of our DFW Charity League, so uh, I wanted to th- thank him personally on the air for that as well. Uh, that's uh, It's been going good. He's in part. Of, I guess he's part of my division, I should say. Um, so if you're involved in that, we want to thank everybody out there for being involved. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Thought I had my Internet fixed there, guys. I really did, but uh, to no avail. Um, t-
Todd, Dynasty Dilemma Time. So each and every week we do a little thing we like to call Dynasty Dilemma. We pit two uh, like players against each other. I guess, you know, ADP-wise, it's pretty, they're pretty like players. I think my guy maybe has a little bit better uh, ADP, but it was Nick's chance to go first. So Nick's going to go, then I will go. Nick will have a chance to rebut, and then Mike's going to slam the gavel down for us. So, Nick, we got Ladarius Green versus Eric Ebron. Nick, what do you got for us on Ladarius Green? Well, you know, I'm going to start off, actually, by tipping my hat to your guy, Eric Ebron. It took real courage for him to be honest and admit that he was in over his head last year. Most athletes, I don't think, would do that. But it's fair to wonder if he didn't, quote-unquote, get it last year, even though as an early first-round pick he had coaches focused on helping him understand things. Maybe he's a guy who will never get it, you know, and even if he does figure things out, he's got a quarterback whose numbers have fallen each of the last three seasons. So he got two stud receivers, at least by the numbers. I wouldn't call Golden Tate a stud, but he did have 99 catches for 1,300 yards last year. And they have three running backs who all can catch the ball well, so he's not even the number one checkdown option there in Detroit. Whereas Ladarius Green has shown his potential on an NFL field. He averaged 23.5 yards per catch in 2013, and his quarterback loves throwing the ball to tight ends. Uh, Antonio Gates has averaged over 100 targets each of the last two years. And now with Gates' four-game suspension, Green finally has the opportunity to shine. And if he plays well, why would they bench him for Gates, who's 10 years older than uh, Green? He was a popular sleeper last year who disappointed many, including myself. But fantasy football is all about opportunity. He never got that opportunity last year. So as a dynasty owner of Green, I try not to be upset at what Antonio Gates did last year, but rather see Gates' 69 catches for 821 yards and 12 touchdowns possibly an indicator of what Green could do in that position. Remember, it's not about what a guy did or didn't do for you. It's what a player will do for you in the future when it comes to fantasy. Josh? (laughs) Oh, you really made me think there with that last statement. All right, Mr. Eric Ebron. I must admit I was hoping to get Green, so I would be forced to look at the bad in Ebron just because we know I love him so much. But alas, I must ride the bad. Ride through the battle with the Ebron flag raised high once again. Uh, Now, if I was basing my opinion on this dilemma solely on college mascots, of course I would go Ladarius Green. I mean, he's a former raging Cajun. How awesome is that mascot? As opposed to Ebron, who is a Tar Heel, which coincidentally I always thought had something to do with tobacco plants. It does not. It actually has to do with actual tar which they apparently produced along the uh, the river there in North Carolina. So there was your history lesson. Uh, do you like do you like the idea? I do like the idea of him replacing Gates. Or do we? Do we really like that idea? Is he actually replacing Gates? Um, therefore, we expect him that he's going to be Antonio Gates because Philip Rivers is his quarterback. Um, I don't know. That's a pretty. I feel like that's kind of a false assumption. Just because, like Nick said, Rivers likes to throw to tight ends. He likes to throw to Antonio Gates. Let's let's leave it at that. Uh, the addition of Tim Wright to the t- to the Detroit core the other day. Um, that already, excuse me, yeah, the tight end core that already houses Joseph Fourier, and the overlooked, often overlooked Brandon Pettigrew the dancing Fourier and the often overlooked Brandon Pettigrew, uh, as well as Ebron, should be noted. They traded for Tim Wright. But the Lions traded a rookie kicker for Wright. 
And let's face it, both of those guys are probably going to be cut next week anyhow. John was a surprise first-round pick, 10th overall to be exact by the Lions, who, who many felt needed a DB at the time. Ultimately, he is still a first-round pick, and the Lions will do everything offensively and creatively possible to make Ebron successful in this system. Ebron also has enough ability to be a devastating slot man. He can play there on purpose and on a regular basis. They're not gonna, he's not going to end up in the slot because they optioned into it. He's going to be lined up there on purpose because he just has that type of ability. I love Ebron more than most, but I think most of us in the Dynasty community would choose Ebron over Green, even if Nick does not. Nick, what do you think? Um, I just think the fact that they added Tim Wright, the, felt, the fact that they felt the need to add another tight end told, could be a red flag as far as how, how ready Ebron is to be the number one tight end there. It scares me. Well, since they brought in George Salas and Lance Moore, who's like, what, 59, to be their wide receiver <laughs> three, maybe they're just going to push Ebron out to wide receiver three. I guess we'll see. Um... Mike, what do you think? Sorry. Okay, so with this one, both got some young tight ends here. I, I think, yes, Ebron does have the premium uh, draft capital. They, they spent the 10th overall pick getting him. Um, but, but I do think that tight end in the NFL takes a while for a player to adapt to the NFL game coming from college. Uh, so w- with Ebron, I still view him as a longer-term uh, player, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of production from him this year. I think third or fourth year is when he'll really start to put it all together. Uh, kind of like we've seen with Green over the last few years. He hasn't really been able to force his way onto the field, um, but, but I think he's been there long enough behind Antonio Gates, and I think the Gates suspension is really going to open the door for Ladarius Green, uh, and I don't, do not expect him to give the job back per se, whenever Gates does come back. Now, I do expect Gates to still be involved in the offense, but I really do think that these first four games, Green's going to have an opportunity to show what he can do in that role, and I I expect him to take full advantage of it. Um, I have to admit, though, I've been a Green fan and have him on a lot of my dynasty teams, so I'm a little bit biased coming into this. I don't think I own Ebron anywhere. Um, So if I have to make a decision, I'm going to go with Green on this one. Okay. As always, Nick has seemed to have won this time. Uh, Well, initially the reason we brought Mike on today, until he came on and saved the day for everybody, he really saved, I mean, I want to say he saved the day for me, but he really saved the day for everybody out there listening. So, Mike, thank you once again. Uh, But uh, we want to talk sleepers today, since the season is ever so close. Uh, A week from tomorrow, we'll we'll be gearing up. But, uh, yeah, we we want to talk about sleepers. I just had everybody come with five sleepers. I didn't really care what uh, what positions are what not. So um, why don't, uh, Mike, why don't you just, uh, why don't you just um, give us your five and then we'll ask some questions about that when you're done. Go ahead. Okay. So I came up with my list of five, and I actually have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, but I'll go with the top five. Uh, and I was looking at DFW ADP, and I went anything after the 17th round or later. 
Um, so my top one is a guy that you and I have talked about before, Josh. It's DeAndre Smelter. Um, I think he has a great opportunity in San Francisco, maybe a red shirt this year. He still may play, um, but it's going to take him some time coming off of the ACL injury, I believe, last November. Uh, so I think they'll ease him in slowly. But I do think that Anquan Bolden can't do this forever. So I think next year, Smelter is going to have a prime opportunity to take over um, and possibly be the, the wide receiver one on that team. I, I got to say, I'm not really a Torrey Smith believer. I think he's really a, a deep threat, kind of a one-trick pony. So I think Smelter will complement that very well and uh, could carve himself out a nice role on that team. So his ADP right now uh, is coming up 1711, um, according to DFW ADP. My second guy is, and his ADP is probably higher since the Jordy injury, uh, is Jeff Janis. Uh, at 1907, I really like his opportunity this year with Jordy going down. I think he is a better fit than Ty Montgomery for that third wide receiver position and really expect him to, to play X receiver now that Jordy is done. I, I think they'll keep uh, Devontae Adams. It's similarly to the role that he was in last year with Cobb in the slot and use Janice to stretch the field. Um, I think there's just a ton of upside with him. Um, so I, I, I'm grabbing him wherever I can. And it's it's been earlier than the 19th round, but if I could get him that late, I, I'd be ecstatic about it. Third guy I have here is the uh, Super Bowl hero, the guy that came out of nowhere, Chris Matthews for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I, I just think with his size and, and what Seattle is going to try to do this year with paying Russell Wilson and adding Jimmy Graham, I'm expecting them to throw the ball more. And, and I think he's going to be a good addition to the outside with Jimmy Graham playing in the middle of the field and Tyler Lockett in the slot. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of competition for targets other than those two guys. Uh, not really a Doug Baldwin believer or um, trying to think of the other Kirsch. guy that's there. but it, Kirsch. Who is it? Kirsch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I just I think he has a good opportunity to get on the field, and I think he showed us what he can do in, in the first half of that Super Bowl. Uh, so I, I think he's a good sort of end-of-your-roster guy to take a flyer on. Um, and then the next two guys I got, I'm not sure if they still qualify as sleepers, um, but according to the ADP I was looking at, they, they did. They're both in the 20th round, 2010 and 2011. Uh, one is Marcus Wheaton with, um, you know, the, the Bryant suspension and all the talk earlier in the offseason about Wheaton being the number two. I think he's going to see some targets. Um also, I have some concerns about uh, the Steelers losing Pouncey. They have a bad defense. They're going to have to put up a lot of points. And, and I think without having Pouncey for probably the first half of the season, the Steelers are going to be forced to throw the ball a lot. So I think playing opposite Antonio Brown, he's going to see some favorable coverage and, and it's going to have a good opportunity for targets in that offense. Um, after after Bryant comes back, I, I think that he will see a similar role to he did last year, maybe a little more expanded. Uh, but but I see Bryant as a as a big play guy uh, that's going to put up 
big games one week and, and then maybe kind of disappear a little more the following week. They see a little more consistent production with Wheaton. And the last guy we talked about already is Brandon Coleman. Um, all positive stuff coming out of Saints camp. Uh, he, you know, leaped Nick Toon on the depth chart, and I, I really think there's a good opportunity for him with Stills and Jimmy Graham gone. Plenty of targets to go around in that offense. Um, just a just a quick thought there on Wheaton. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good list too. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Wheaton Wheaton kind of a smaller guy? Isn't he isn't he below six feet? I'm not a hundred percent sure on his measure. I know he's not like a Martavis Bryant big. Um yeah. I, I don't I th- I think he's sort of between Bryant and Antonio Brown. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering maybe if if we see Wheaton fill Bryant's shoes early on, but maybe we see Sammy Coates in the red zone. You think that's that's a possibility? I think Coates can have a bit of a role, but I see him more as the the number four, at least early on. I think he's a bit raw still. He has some issues with his hands. Um, I don't see him having too much of a problem leaping over Darius Hayward Bay, Um, but but I do think that he's still going to be behind uh, Bryant and Wheaton as he sort of adjusts to, to the NFL game. Um, and, and yeah, I just checked. Uh, Wheaton is five eleven, one eighty two. Okay, yeah. Uh, Nick, any questions there or thoughts? Uh, yeah, I want to talk about the situation in Green Bay now with uh, Jordy Nelson out for the year. Uh, last year, uh, Green Bay's wide receiver number three, Devonte Adams, had under five hundred yards receiving. Do you see this as a situation where this year Aaron Rodgers is going to spread the ball around a lot more, or do you see Adams just stepping in and being that thousand-yard guy, and then Janice probably only being a you know a bi-week fill-in type player? Well, I, I think. Initially, that that's how I'm going to see him. You know, he's not somebody I'm counting on to start for me week one. Um, I, w- I want to see how it plays out and what his role in the offense is. But I, I think with Adams and his role in the offense as a rookie, I mean, you had Cobb and Nelson with 1,300 yards and, and 12 and 13 touchdowns each. So they took all of the production. I'm not expecting Adams to take that large of a role in the offense. I'm not expecting him to just automatically get Jordy's missing production. So I I think that Janice will get a little bit bigger of a share of that than maybe some people expect. Uh, Yeah, and I think maybe part of that was, I think, combined. I think, correct, I don't have the stat in front of me, and of course I can't double-check it, but I think for the first time in NFL history, both Wide receivers for Green Bay last year had over 1,500 yards. Carr and Nelson both core, excuse me, Cobb and Nelson both had over 1,500 yards. So after you're getting two guys with that, there's probably not a whole lot to go around. But uh, I do see Mike's point there with Jordy. Devontae's just not going to get all that production. I think it's going to be spread more more spread around just a little bit. So, uh, Nick, why don't you uh, give us uh, your keepers, unless you had another question there for Mike. Uh, nope, just move on to my guys. I'll start out with quarterback Sam Bradford. You know, this guy just looks really sharp in Chip Kelly's offense. He's got the injury risk, but he did play all 16 games, two of his first three seasons. So he does have a history of holding up in the past. 
you know, if he's healthy, I think he's a lock for probably 4,000 yards, 25 scores as a floor. His ceiling, he could end up being a top-five quarterback in that offense with the weapons that he has around him if he can stay healthy. Uh, moving on, i got another eagle, the running back, Kenyon Barner. He's had a great preseason, and he's basically forcing the team to keep four running backs on their roster. But you look at the who's in front of him, DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews, those two combined to miss 27 games with injuries over the last four seasons. So it's not hard to envision a scenario where both of those guys get banged up at the same time. Uh, the number three back, Darren Sproles, he's not in every down running back. So if if uh, injuries were to strike both Murray and Matthews, I think Barner would be in line for a lot of work. Uh, moving on, we got a wide receiver, wide receiver, Stevie Johnson. You know, he's not only finally playing with a quality quarterback in San Diego with Phillip Rivers, but he looked really spry last week, you know, like Stevie Johnson from Buffalo from a few years back. Uh, I, I think he could have a really good bounce back here. And speaking of bounce back, he's not on my sleeper list, but I do like uh, Johnson's San Francisco teammate Michael Crabtree to have decent numbers this year in uh, Oakland. Yeah, Carr, Carr's a way better quarterback than uh, Colin Kaepernick will ever be. Uh, next up, we have DeAnthony Thomas. This guy is just flat out fast in Kansas City. And now that he's switching from running back to receiver, he he did play all over the field in college. So he's not unfamiliar with playing lining up as, at a wide receiver position. So it's not your typical uh, switching positions type of uh, scenario there. And I think his cut, catch and run abilities could be a perfect fit with uh, captain check down Alex Smith. You know, a little five-yard dump off. The Anthony Thomas can turn into 20 yards just like that. And then my last guy, I got the tight end, Heath Miller. You know, he actually had 761 yards last year. That's more yards than Jordan Reed, Larry Donnell, uh, Julius Thomas, Jason Witten, or Owen Daniels had. You know, he doesn't have a lot of upside, of course, but he is 30, only 32 years old. Seems like he's older than that. He's only 32. He's easily the Steelers' number one tight end. And he's got a quarterback in Big Ben Roethlisberger who threw for nearly 5,000 yards last year. So Heath Miller could be a guy that you could add late and could actually really help you out. Uh, yeah, you know, if you need a one-year rental player, uh, like we have some articles up on DFW about that. I, I like I like Heath Miller a lot there. Um, I had DeAnthony Thomas written down as on, honorable mention just in case nobody mentioned him. And Nick's, Nick's quote was, he's flat out fast, fast and I just said, uh, that dude is fast. Uh, yeah, I agree, those little dump-off passes, those be super fun. And um you sh- if you haven't seen it, I mean, or you haven't watched it for a couple of years, there's a, and I can't tell you the exact name of it, but there's a DeAnthony Thomas high- college highlight video. It's probably about five or six minutes long. Uh, but he, uh, they're playing a game against Colorado, and you see, you can see the score on the on the highlight video. They're up forty-two to nothing, and he picks up a bouncing punt and runs like backwards and then makes like four people miss and just turns on the jets and scores a touchdown. I mean, first of all, I mean, we we, we could question his decision-making picking up a punt at that point in time, but I guess it's not like it matters if he fumbled that they're up by six touchdowns. Uh, but uh, it's just probably one of the more amazing special teams plays I think I've ever seen. It's just, it's really, it's a really special play and you tell that he just has, you know, as the scouts say, that that type of wiggle. But when he is able to turn the corner, I mean, man, that guy is fast. Uh, Mike, any questions there for Nick? Uh, yeah, with with the Kenyon Barner pick, I, I really like that because I do agree he's got some injury-prone guys in front of him. 
but if that were to happen, Mar- Murray and Matthews both going down, do, do you think he could handle a, a full workload um, as a feature back? Um, not a full workload. You, you would still have Darren Sproles there, but at 5'9", 195, I think he's in a better, bet, more built uh, to handle the full workload than Darren Sproles would be. So uh, he, I think they'd pretty much be left with no choice but to give him, uh, you know, at least two-thirds of the work there. Plus, you know, with the familiarity of, of him and Chip Kelly, that, that also helps him being a former a former duck there. So, um, Mike, do you have any other questions there for Nick? Yeah, just uh, I, I really like the Barner pick. He wasn't a guy on my radar. Um, and also just to sort of piggyback on the Heath Miller, um, he, he's consistently underrated, and, and he's a guy that can get you some consistent production. If you're going to wait on that position – uh, he's a good guy to target or to go after because he's not going to cost you a whole lot. So I like that one. Okay. Um, any any word on Jesse James there in in Pittsburgh? I know I want these tight ends to be to be happy and awesome right away, but any word how, on how he's doing there? Is he going to beat out Matt Space for the tight end two spot? I, not that I've heard. I haven't heard anything too overly optimistic. Um, I, I'm really expecting him to start the year as the third tight end. Um, and, and, again, with the struggles that they may have on the offensive line, they may play more two tight end sets. And, and with James' size, he may see some opportunities to get on the field, but they may be more blocking opportunities rather than getting targets and, and scoring fantasy points. So, if, if I'm drafting him or, or rostering him on a team, he's more of a two- or three-year project rather than giving me production this year. Oh, yeah. yeah. you gotta be you got to be patient with those tight ends, most definitely. Okay. Well, I also – I actually had, like, eight, but I, I only wrote about six of them. But, uh, and I already mentioned DeAnthony Thomas, and I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna be a little IDP heavy, so I uh, hope you guys are ready for that. Uh, my one offensive player is Zach Stacy. Uh, I think new life breeds positivity and and a, and a lot of facets of all facets of life. So I think Stacy, you know, he's kind of a blue collar winner, and I think he's gonna have a new opportunity. I mean, and his ADP is practically around 40. So I mean, if Especially if you draft Chris Ivory, why are you not taking Stacy? I mean, I know people are saying Bilal Powell is probably their RB two there right now, but I just you cannot pass on a guy like Stacy who with that type of experience level. I mean, why not take a chance on him at the end of your draft? I mean, I know Thomas Rawls and Jeremy Lankford are there, uh, but Stacy. I mean, that that level of experience, and he's on a on a on a Jets roster that really doesn't have a true RB one. I know Stace, or excuse me, Ivory's being drafted like an RB1, um, but I think Nick said last week that he doesn't even have a, a, a season over 900 yards in his career. So um, I think Stacy, given an opportunity, could certainly outperform that ADP and potentially really, really put his name in the hat as maybe the Jets running back one next year. Uh, the number two, number two guy I got is uh, Rameek Wilson, inside linebacker, a rookie here for the Chiefs. Um, a back strain caused some concern early on in camp, but he has been very impressive, made a nice interception, and he looks like he might end up starting 
opposite uh, Derek Johnson's inside linebacker position there in Kansas City now. Uh, DJ's probably going to be the tackle volume inside linebacker. Nermeek's going to be uh, uh, more of the uh, the pass coverage, kind of floating off the line type of player. Um, and I think next year that's going to change. So I think Ramik's going to get some uh, good experience this year. And while he might not put up huge IDP numbers, he might be a decent uh, uh, bi-week filler. He certainly has a chance at some, uh, some interceptions and maybe causing some uh, turnovers as well. And um, I think Ontario Poe is out for part of the season too, so they might need him up the middle to help uh, stuff the run. That's a huge loss, even if he's out one game, Kansas City misses Ontario Poe. So. Uh, but right now, Wilson's doing everything right, and he's progressing well. You know, most rookie linebackers are burdened by uh, new responsibilities and scheme subtleties, but Wilson is really embracing it and seizing a massive opera process. So, uh, Rameek Wilson, uh, you know, unless you're in a 16-teamer, he's probably even available unless unless it's pretty deep IDP-wise. Uh, but I really like him. And you want those middle linebackers for your IDP roster. So, uh, you know, very few outside linebackers get enough tackles or, unless it's a super sack-heavy league, have a, get, get enough production. The inside guys are the ones you want. You can get Wilson right now for cheap. So look at that. Um, uh, that being said, the next three guys I have are actually uh, uh, two, of, two of them, or at least are edge rushers are outside linebackers. Uh, my third guy is uh, Jonathan Newsom. Um, I love me some second-year players. I really do. I need to just write an article like am I all second-year team every every year. I think that's, that should be fun. You know, we get, we get so fascinated with these rookies each and every year, but just turn on that same fascination that you had last summer for these guys and just, and just think about them in terms of a dynasty startup. You know, if they were really – lacking in production, but you know they're getting an opportunity, uh, you can build a super solid team with some second-year players. And that's why I like Jonathan Newsom. Uh, he's mature, faster. Uh, he handles handles steps. Um, he handles great steps, and he's leaping steps rather than creeping on them. Uh, Newsom is 2014 fifth-round pick um, out of, uh, I think, Ball State, uh, saw some limited time um, as a rookie, but he forced four fumbles and recorded six and a half sacks uh, for the Colts. He's a very long six foot three, and should see an expanded role as a hard charging uh, pass rusher. He's, he's listed as an outside linebacker, so he's going to be somewhat sack dependent. But in the limited role, like I said, four forced fumbles and six and a half sacks last year, and. Uh, you know, there's some, certainly some question marks on uh, the indie defense, and when if they have a guy that's going to show great maturity, I think it's going to be uh, Newsom. And I can't take full credit for taking uh, Newsom as a sleeper. Um, as a podcaster myself, I'm, I'm I listen to many many podcasts. One of my favorite podcasts is uh, the Daniel Jeremiah Move the Sticks podcast. That is a fine fine podcast, and they got good things going on there. And uh, he is all about Jonathan Newsom there, so. Uh, uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. My next guy is another outside linebacker, Alex Okafor. Uh, Alex Okafor, excuse me. If you watch Kansas City, excuse me, Oakland 
Arizona, you saw him make some exceptional plays. He had a, he had a great uh, couple of really good quarterback pressures. I don't know if he got a sack, but he also um, completely body slammed Latavius Murray on one play. Uh, outside linebacker for this team. Very quietly led the team with eight sacks last year. I don't know if you guys would realize who led the Cardinals in sacks last year if I asked you that, but uh, it was Alex Okafor. Uh, used up, like Newsom, as kind of a limited role. Uh, but now he's getting stronger and stronger, and certainly evidenced by the body slam the other night uh, during the third, per, third preseason game. You know, he wasn't out there making plays in a preseason game in the fourth quarter bench against a bunch of guys who were going to be sacking groceries. He was making that against Oakland's number one offensive line and their supposed number one running back. So, uh, Alex Okafor, remember that name, especially in sack-heavy leagues. I think he's he's going to be very, very devastating. And this is a team that's got some very good question marks in the front seven. Um, so he's going to have an opportunity to really, really mature. Uh, Cassius Marsh in Seattle. He's a def- listed as a defensive end. Uh, but uh, Seattle plans on using Marsh in a, at a variety of positions and in various sets so that he can either set the edge or get after the quarterback. He has great hands, and uh, he does some MMA training on the side to help with coordination. So he's he's a very strong kid. So I think whether he has his hand in the dirt or he's jumping around with his legs a flutter, I think you're going to see some great growth from him this season. Uh, Also, I've said it a hundred times, but Seattle is old up front, and Marsh's fresh legs should certainly be able to uh, ignite there. Now, I, I have one more, so I'll let Mike say his sixth one, too. Um, another situational guy, you know, there's two types of situational pass rushers. There's two different breeds. One of them is old guys who no longer have the juice to play all four quarters, um, but the second type is young players just fighting for regular reps. Curry is certainly the latter, and like Marsh, he should see an expanded role in multiple positions, kind of a utility pass rusher, this will, if you will, for uh, Philadelphia this year. Um, they have Cedric Thornton and uh, Fletcher Cox at defensive end. Curry's currently listed as a defensive end, but he's been playing a little outside linebacker there as well. So, uh, you know, during his limited role in 2014, he also forced four fumbles and got nine sacks. Um so with regular reps, offenses should obviously be a little bit more prepared for Curry, but I still think he has an opportunity to expound on those numbers and uh, very excited about that. He's just a big, solid kid, and uh, he's also uh, quite the dancer. So, uh, uh, what, Mike, any questions there about my sleepers? No, those all sound good, Josh. I, uh, I, I'm getting more and more into IDP, but uh, I'm not, not quite the IDP guy you are, so I, I certainly appreciate some of those sleepers. I, I wrote some of those names down. Um, if you'll let me, the one bonus guy that I had uh, is a guy that I'm sort of targeting later on in the drafts. Anything over, like, 25-man rosters or bigger uh, is Devin Street for the Cowboys. Um, I, I know I, I really liked him whenever we weren't sure whether or not Des Bryant was going to suit up this year. I thought he would do well in that role if Des wasn't on the field. Um, so I, I'm still stashing him on my rosters. And if, God forbid, something should happen to Des, I, I think he could step in and, and play that role fairly well. 
he's looked good this preseason. Um, his size, speed guy, and uh, I, I think he could step in and be productive if given the chance. Yeah, I liked Street a lot last year. He's a very, very solid college player, and I was I kind of thought that he was going to rise up the ranks a little bit better than he did last year. Uh, obviously, he's got T. Will and Beasley in front of him, but uh, yeah, that's uh, you can't you can't write off these guys. I just talked about second year players; you can't uh, can't write them off. So I, I like that a lot. Uh, Nick, any questions there about my sleepers? Uh, yeah, your linebacker Ramik Wilson from the Chiefs. You mentioned that Ontario Poe is uh, injured right now, uh, and you thought that that might uh, provide more opportunities for uh, for Ramik Wilson to make tackles. But I was wondering if there's any concern that you have about uh, Poe's injury actually hurting the Kansas City linebackers, just because linebackers love to have that big space eater up front there at the nose tackle. Um, I think it could hurt their defense. Certainly, obviously it will, but I think the the benefactor tackle wise could be those guys inside. So uh, that, that's certainly certainly a valid question. But you know, we we talked about I talked about that when I wrote about Landon Collins. You know, everybody said, oh, he sucks in pass protection. Well, if he's given up if he's given up a reception, chances are he's going to make the tackle. So that that conversely is going to help them IDP wise. It might not help them in the coaching staff's eyes. Uh, but it's going to help you at least early. So make make sure you think about that a little bit with rookies. It's kind of like cornerbacks. You don't want the the number one corners. You don't want Richard Sherman or Darrell Revis. You want you know guys like Jonathan Banks or uh, uh, even Kyle Fuller, who had a great year last year. So it's it's kind of a weird thing that IDP wise IDP positions like that sometimes you know. The uh, the badness, if you will, of the defense uh, can have a nice IDP reflect on uh, the off or on their on their stat line. So, and if I'm totally wrong there, I'm sure Sean Kirby will tell me about it. Um, let's get to uh, some dynasty trade analysis here. Um, Mike, we have a trade here that Mike made a few weeks ago that he wanted to talk about when he came on. So uh, this is a good one. Um, I, I I like it a lot, and um, I, we'll, we'll see what the thing, what what other people think. And this is Mike's been involved with a couple of Travis Kelsey trades here recently, but uh, this one was uh, Mike Evans and Kyle Rudolph for Amari Cooper and Travis Kelsey. What what do you think about that one there, Nick? Um, I definitely like the side that picked up Amari Cooper and Travis Kelsey. You know, Travis Kelsey, the sky's basically the limit for him in Kansas City. Uh, should be a top five tight end this year and moving forward. And Amari Cooper, he looks fantastic for the Raiders. I, I think he's a budding star in the making. Uh, I've never been high, or not recently been high on Kyle Rudolph. I was a couple of years ago and he burned me. Uh, but uh, And then Mike Evans, I'm a little concerned about Mike Evans being a one-year wonder, so sort of uh, similar to what happened with uh, with uh, the running back there, Doug Martin, in Tampa Bay. You know, he had, what, three good games as a rookie? So I, I, I like picking up Amari Cooper there. Uh, yeah, I, I like that too. I think, you know, like, like Mike said earlier, tight ends take time to develop. This is actually Travis Kelsey's third year. He missed all of his rookie year with an injury, but he's at least been around the NFL, and I'm sure he had was able to learn, and obviously he was, came on and was a very great player last year, and I expect that uh, growth can continue. I don't 
maybe have some of the same concerns about Mike Evans. I think he's a, a very a very solid player, and I think he's going to be be good. But what what Mike's getting here in return after giving up a, a, essentially a wide receiver one? I don't think I would want him as my wide receiver one, but he's essentially giving up a wide receiver one and a almost always severely broken tight end. He's getting a top five tight end uh, and an emerging receiver that everybody says is going to have the, one of the easier transitions of any rookie. So I, I think it's a good deal. Mike, any, any thoughts now that you've had a few weeks to stew on it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I'm really happy with the trade. Uh, I'm a huge Kelsey fan. I, I think he takes a big step forward this year, and I could see him being the number two tight end uh, behind Gronk, uh, passing up Jimmy Graham and Greg Olson. Uh, so I'm, I was glad to get him. Amari Cooper was, was the real big piece in this trade. Uh, so I really looked at this as a two-for-one. I mean, the initial offer – was Evans for Cooper and Kelsey. Rudolph became a, a throw-in uh, later on in the negotiations. Um, I, I like Rudolph as, as a later sleeper if, if I'm going to wait on tight end. Uh, but I, I'll definitely, you know, if I had to do this trade again today, I'd definitely take it. This league, um, this is a startup we just drafted this year. So my team's really set up for not necessarily to compete this year. Uh, it's really maybe a couple of years away. I made some trades for some additional first-round picks. So next year and next year's rookie draft, I already have three first-round picks. Um, so I, I'm liking my team to, to really get some young core pieces in there and, and compete for years to come. Uh, Mike, since you've made a couple deals for Kelsey here, um, I'm sure you've you've really looked in that Kansas City situation, but is there any concerns now that I, I think Kansas City, and I know Chris Conley's hurt uh, right now, but Kansas City obviously upgraded their wide receiver position. You know, uh, they had Dwayne Bow and a bunch of schmoes before this, and, you know, however you feel about Bow or whatnot, he is still somewhat a, a decent wide receiver. He's not a fancy elite wide receiver, but they've upgraded Upgraded that with Mackland and moving DeAnthony Thomas essentially to the slot, and they have a couple other guys there that they're excited about. But do you think that could maybe hurt Kelsey's numbers here and there? No, I honestly believe that. I think Kelsey is still the guy when they get in the red zone if they want to pass. But do you think the they actually have a chance to spread the ball out to some legit wide receivers now? Could help hurt Kelsey a little bit this year? Well, I, I think that Macklin being there on the outside, I mean, there was a lot of, of hate early on for Macklin whenever he first went to Kansas City because of the whole, well, Alex Smith didn't throw a touchdown to a wide receiver last year. I think people are pretty much over that after seeing what he's done in the preseason. I actually see that as helping Kelsey um, with Macklin being productive on the outside, helping this team move the ball up and down the field. So I think they're going to be an improved offense this year. Um, as, as much as Alex Smith isn't a good fantasy quarterback, he's not a bad NFL quarterback. So I think he'll help this offense be productive. They have Jamal Charles. Um, they have a good defense. I'm expecting this to be a good team that's going to put up some points. So I, I think there's going to be plenty of production to go around um, and, and really see Kelsey as the, the second option on this team in the passing game behind Macklin. Um, so I, I'm really – 
really optimistic about what he's going to do in, in 2015. Okay, another a big one here, and I'm still not quite sure how I feel about it. Uh, Sammy Watkins, Jordan Cameron, and David Cobb for Des Bryant and Vernon Davis. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I think it's pretty fair. I would probably side with the uh, with the team that acquired Des Bryant. Just you know, Sammy Watkins, the, his talent is through the roof, but he's stuck in there in Buffalo with a pretty shaky quarterback situation. We don't really know for sure what Tyrod Taylor is going to do once the uh, once the Bolts really start flying for real there in the regular season. Jordan Cameron seems to always get hurt, and David Cobb's injured right now. Uh, we think that he could end up being the starting running back there eventually, just because Bishop Sankey's the only guy ahead of him, but he's not the starter yet. So. Basically, it's uh, Sammy Watkins and a couple of flyers for Des Bryant and Vernon Davis. He's fantasy garbage. You don't need him. But uh, I think, you know, Des Bryant, he's, you know, a top three wide receiver in uh, Dynasty League. So I think it's a pretty good trade for that side that acquired Des. Yeah, I agree. Certainly getting a better immediate upgrade to to your roster there. Mike, what do you think? And I think without knowing the context of the situation, what each team has, and if they're a competing team or not, I, I think I'm going to go with the Des side of this trade. And, and also, I think that, you know, while Vernon Davis had a down year last year, I mean, he is only two years removed from scoring 13 touchdowns in a season. So I, I think he still does have some upside. He's sort of a, a late-round guy, a lottery ticket um, that could be productive for you. If not, you just throw him back into the pool. Uh, but I think the side that acquired Dez got the best best player in the deal, so I'm going to side with that. I'm, I'm not a big Sammy Watkins guy, not because I don't like his talent, just because I really hate his situation. Um, just speaking of that situation, I know you're still looking for a quarterback in the DFW Cronies League, Mike. I, I got Tyrod Taylor available if, if, if you want to make me an offer, but uh, we'll, just, we'll just throw that out there. Um Looking more at this trade, you know, as much as I don't like Vernon Davis, I really don't like Jordan Cameron. So, yeah, you got to side with the Des Davis side, I think. And it looks like the other side who got Watkins and Cobb is probably rebuilding, I would have to imagine. And, you know, if, you know, if they're really, you know, rebuilding for a couple years down the road, chances are, you know, Des might not be as, as elite as he is right now. So, um, I, I think it's a fair deal, but I would still decide with the Dez for Davis. Um, okay, this one is crazy. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I had it split up too much here. Mike Evans, Cecil Shorts. I don't know if I have the rest. Mike Evans, Cecil Shorts, and Darren. Yeah, okay. Mike Evans, Cecil Shorts for... I'm sorry, I'm going to start over one more time here. Mike Evans, Cecil Shorts, Darren Waller, 2016 first pick and a 2016 fifth-round pick for Arian Foster, Megatron, Matthew Stafford, and a 2016 fifth-round pick. Mike, we'll stick with you. What do you think about that one? I think on this one I'm going to go with the Evans side that that gets the first-round pick. Um, 
with Arian Foster, I mean, he could come back and, and help you this year in the second half of the season. Um, you know, Megatron's a, a good piece, but I, I'm not how, – how many years does he have left of, of elite production? So I, I'm going to take Evans over Megatron on this side, and, and I think the 2016 first really puts it over the top for me. Uh, the fifth-round picks essentially cancel each other out. The first round pick actually went to the to the other side. Evan Shorts, Waller, first and fifth, four Megatron, Foster, and Stafford. Sorry. Right. I yeah, I and I, I, I like I the side that gets. Oh yeah, you're getting Evan and the first, the first round, pick. round yeah. pick. I'm sorry. Right. I am sorry. Okay. I guess I won't talk more about this trade. Nick, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I agree 100% with Mike. If you're picking up uh, Evans and the first-round pick for an aging running back, an aging receiver, and a quarterback whose numbers have been dropping over the last few years, yeah, you got to like that trade. Um, yeah, and I think there is a possibility that the, the side that's getting Foster, Megatron, and Stafford could have a hell of a year this year. But uh, uh, who knows? You know, I think – there's still there's still a handful of people out there that believe in Darren Waller, and uh, I'm not saying he's going to be Mike Evans, but he certainly could be a very a very solid player, especially with Steve Smith out the door next year in Baltimore. It's just a, a big, strong kid that can do a few different things, play the slot. He could probably even be a move tight end if you asked him to, and he can uh, make some blocks down downfield. Uh, Cecil Short is actually pretty decent uh, for uh, Houston this. Uh, Preseason, of course, you get to look at him a little bit more in uh, in hard knocks. But I think uh, I think he's that's that's a a nice add for them, uh, most definitely, and especially considering who's on the other side. Uh, Jamal Charles for T.J. Yeldon and a fourth round pick. What do you think, Nick? I think this is fair uh, for both sides. Uh, I'm assuming the team that gave away Charles is rebuilding. So, you know, you're picking up a good young running back, or at least a running back with a lot of potential there in T.J. Yeldon, and an extra draft pick for next year. And the side that acquired Charles, if you're building to win this year, I mean, he couldn't ask for a much better running back than Jamal Charles to build around. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think this is an unfair trade, but I, I'd lean towards the Charles side. I think, you know, I, I'm as big of a fan of T.J. Yeldon as anybody, but if I'm selling Jamal Charles, I'm going to want to get more than, than just T.J. Yeldon on a fourth. Uh, for me, it would take Yeldon in a second uh, at least to get uh, Jamal Charles off of my team. I, I, I just kind of feel like the team giving up Charles could have got more. Uh, yeah, I agree there. You know, it, it looks like that team is uh, maybe maybe rebuilding there that gave up Charles. But yeah, and you know maybe he's maybe he asked for a whole lot more, and this is this is the best he could do. But uh, yeah, it depends on the the league situation there. But uh, yeah, I think I have to side at the Jamal Charles side. Um, and we already did the last one. Okay. Um, just want to say it's a good thing that I have all this stuff written down inside notes otherwise we would have really been in trouble today but anyway i'm gonna start reflecting on that nick what do you think with david cobb hurting right now bishop think he seems to have the upper hand as rb1 in tennessee what what do you, do you think uh that's bad news for cobb or 
good news for Sankey owners? What do you think? Uh, I think it's probably both. Uh, you look at Cobb, especially as a rookie, missing this important time in training camp. Uh, one of the toughest things for rookie running backs to transition to the NFL is uh, being able to pick up the pass protection side of things. Missing this time in training camp, I think, is really going to set him back there. So Sankey probably, for this year at least, is going to be their number one running back. They don't want to get their new toy, Marcus Mariota, killed due to uh, uh, rookie's lack of uh, pass blocking skills. That would be my guess anyway. Mike, any thoughts there? Yeah, I think for this year, Sankey uh, is going to be the one that benefits um, as much as they can on, on this team. I think this is still a, a pretty bad team that, that's not going to put up a lot of points. Um, so I'm not super excited about Sankey and not really excited about him long term. But I think for this year, he's going to have a an opportunity to show what he can do. I think Cobb is, is more of a longer-term play, second half of the season into next year. Yeah, I, I own Sankey, and conversely, I own Cobb in a lot more leagues than I probably should uh, now. So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, we didn't see a whole lot from Sankey last year. So, I mean, even though he looks to be their RB1, his camp, breaks they also have antonio andrews who we talked about a few weeks ago and dextrum cluster still in house too i think so i mean we could see sankey you know maybe get an adp bump here this final week if you still have a, a a draft to do but he could also fall flat on his face like he did when i took him in the fourth round last year so uh in the startup mind you but uh yeah i Hey, uh, I I still own Sankey in that league, and I and I'm praying for the best. But uh, I I think Cobb is certainly the future there. Even if it's Sankey this year, I don't really see, you know, 600 yards out of Sankey this year. I would be surprised if he surpasses that. So, um, moving forward, uh, we want to talk a little bit about um, my uh, 12 team redraft league and I just kind of wanted to bring you bring you guys through that. I don't have the draft order in front of me, so I'll just kind of break down the team. And I already know there's too many running backs on this team. You don't you don't need to tell me that. I I I don't know what I don't know how that happened, but I just went crazy. Uh, so it's a 12 team redraft league. We have one keeper. Uh my keeper was Jeremy Hill and we lose the round that they were drafted in last year. I got him in the 8th round. Um, took Sankey in the fifth this fifth round in this draft, uh, and Hill in the eighth. So I, I thought I had a pretty decent keeper. I could have kept Kelsey in the same round as I picked him up as an undrafted free agent, but uh, I ultimately went Hill. Uh, so we'll see we'll see how that works out for me. But my quarterback is Eli Manning. I had to take him in the fifth, which I was surprised. I really wanted to wait on the quarterback, but he this this being a keeper league. Uh, there was three quarterbacks kept, and when I took Eli, he was the eighth quarterback off of the board, essentially, with the three keepers mixed in there, too. Uh, I took him in the fifth. Coincidentally, Cam Newton went in the eighth. So uh, it's obviously it's not an expert league, but uh, Eli's the guy I wanted. The main reason I wanted Eli, and I guess you guys can totally blow the strategy out of the water if you want, uh, but the guy that won this league last the last two years, actually, his keeper was Odell Beckham. And we get six points for a passing touchdown. So he is also in my division. 
So I think when I play him, I think I could pretty much cancel his best player out because I have his quarterback. Um, it's certainly not necessarily always going to be the case, but I think it, I think it certainly begs worth uh, mentioning. So Eli's my quarterback. My wide receivers are Alshon and Amari Cooper. Those are my top two. I actually went Alshon Jeffrey over AJ Green. Um, I just, I, I just believe in that. I believe in Jeffrey a little bit more, even though their quarterback is his quarterback is Jake Cutler. But with Kevin White out, um, Jeffrey is certainly going to be counted on more. I think the Bengals have a little, a lot more weapons than just AJ Green, so that's why I went that route with Elshon. Um, I went Cooper just because I needed a receiver there, and I think I got him in the fourth. Um, I'm pretty excited about him. I know it's a homer pick because I'm a Raiders fan, but I think uh, you know this being a PPR, I think he's I think he's going to do me pretty good this year. Uh, Melvin Gordon, I took in the third round. Um, not not crazy about that, and maybe that's why I overcompensated with my bench running backs. But I got Gordon there, uh, and then of course Jeremy Hill is my other other running back. I took Gronk in the first. Um, Really thought I was going to be choosing between Demarius Thomas or Julio Jones, but thankfully the Broncos fan in front of me took Demarius Thomas. So I got Gronk, and I'm pretty excited that I I have him to build my team around. Uh, my third wide receiver, we have a wide receiver running back flex. My third guy is uh, Jarvis Landry. This being a PPR, pretty excited about a guy that I think could potentially have 80, 90 catches this year. I think he had 84 last year, so... Um, and then my bench, I took Giovanni Bernard to kind of back up Hill, so I have that Cincy situation locked down. I also took Shane Vereens being a PPR again. I like that. Um, took Ruben Randall. I think I maybe reached on him a little bit in the 10th round, but I needed another receiver. Also have David Cobb, and then I was forced to make a decision between Devin Funches or Pierre Garçon. Um, I think Funches just has a little bit more opportunity and uh, – I like Cam Newton a hell lot, hell of a lot more than I like Kirk Cousins. That's for sure. Uh, then I got uh, me and Mike's guy Charles Sims again PPR. I think he's going to be worth worth the gamble there. And I also took Cameron Artis Payne. I actually took Cameron Artis Payne in the last round, and I forgot that David Johnson was still available. So, um, uh, but I, lo- I actually like Artis Payne's situation a little bit better, at least for this year, since it is a redraft. And then I also took. Uh, Jameis Winston in the 15th round, this being a keeper league, that might be a decent keeper option there for me next year, even though I'm not huge on keeping quarterbacks. Uh, but I think uh, Winston might be at least back up to uh, Eli Manning there. So, Mike, in, Mike, any initial thoughts there, or where did I go wrong? I know I got too many re- running backs, not enough receivers, but what do you think? Well, so this is, uh, you, you only keep one player from year to year? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think in a in a typical redraft league with only one keeper, I mean, I'm treating it just like a redraft league. And in yearly leagues, I, I want running back depth more so than receiver depth. I want uh, my generally my strategy in redraft is to get elite wide receivers at the beginning of the draft, and then pass catching running backs, and a lot of them sort of like lottery tickets or scratch-off tickets. The more you buy, the more likely that they are that one of them's going to hit. And I think that sounds like kind of what you did there. Um, so I, I like it. I, the only thing I think I would have done differently is is took someone else rather than Eli Manning 
and waited and just rolled with Jameis Winston uh, in the 15th round. I think his schedule's set up for him to have a nice year this year. Uh, I think you could have got a nice piece uh, in the fifth. And if it didn't work out with Winston, just stream the position. With a 12-team league, I, I really try to wait on quarterback as long as I can. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that was kind of my plan going in, but Eli was the guy that I wanted, so I felt compelled. And like I said, he was the eighth quarterback off the board, so I was a little a little fortunate to that situation there. Nick, any thoughts? Uh, well, I think you're a little higher on Eli Manning than I am. I just personally don't trust him. He's been too inconsistent throughout his career for me to really believe in him as my uh, QB1. But other than that, I think he did a really good job. And, you know, with the, the young running backs you have in Cameron Artis Payne, uh, Sims, and uh, Cobb, you probably didn't uh, t- use too high a draft picks on him. And so you could have some uh, tough decisions next year as far as who's going to be your keeper between those running backs possibly. Yeah, and I really try, I really told myself not to go rookie crazy, but the value is just there. And if you think I got Cooper, Gordon, Cobb, Funches, Winston, and Cameron Artis Payne, uh, yeah, I didn't uh, necessarily stick to don't go rookie crazy there. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think it could be a pretty good team. And I, and I know... I know this league, and I think if I have a if I have a weakness, I think it is my receivers. But I think I have guys that are going to produce PPR volume, and hopefully Gronk can come through and just be amazing again. So looking looking forward to that as the season gets going. Looking forward to to Gronk play Pittsburgh next Thursday night. So, um, and you know, like like Mike said, with this being a PPR, you want to get a lot of those. A lot of those pass catcher running backs, and I think guys like Sims, and to a bigger extent, Vereen and Gio, Giovanni Bernard are going to do that. So there's, those are going to be nice guys that I have to fill in, and I hope my bench isn't deep enough to where I'm always making the wrong decisions with my lineup because I've had some years like that certainly. Uh, but uh, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, and I'm sure I'll keep you posted on that as the as the season progresses. Now, the Bills obviously gained a new coach last uh, this, this offseason. And uh, in doing so, we all thought they were going to go to the 3-4 scheme, and that was going to essentially hurt a lot of their IDP players as guys like Mario Williams would shift to defensive end outside linebacker. To, um, Kyle Williams would shift from defensive tackle to defensive end. Marcel Darius would shift from DT to essentially a nose tackle, and those guys aren't necessarily that productive. They might have some more tackle volume, but they aren't going to get to get sacks. And it's not like Darius is playing out of position uh, because he did play that position there for Buffalo his rookie year, but he still was going to see, I think, an IDP dip. Um, But now they are shifting back. And the the question here that I posed to our buddy uh, Sean Kirby was, you know, with with them sh- essentially shifting back to the four three, how does it affect uh, Nigel Brandham's value as uh, as he's going to be getting pushed to uh, from inside linebacker to basically strong side linebacker? Now, typically, strong side linebackers are a little bit more. That's a little bit more of a sack heavy position, and the weak side linebackers, a guy like K.J. Wright in Seattle, are going to get a little bit more of 
the tackle volume. So I, wa- I, I asked Sean how much this would affect Branham, and he said potentially not a whole lot. Uh, he still stays in every down linebacker, and I think he's a better player than Manny Lawson, who is the weak side linebacker. And he also wanted to note that uh, Rex is typically Rex's inside linebackers kind of have somewhat of a limited ceiling, not higher than a, a linebacker 15 or worse. So his Branham's floor might drop a little bit, but he's still going to see more QB pressures uh, from that position. It's going to increase the ceiling quite a bit. And he'd still be still be pretty shocked if he was a top 12 guy, but he could definitely fill in a roster uh, without too much of a, a disadvantage. Um, obviously, with Williams, Demario Williams, Mario, not Demario, Mario Williams shifting back to defensive end, that certainly helps his value too, as he's you know that's a bit more of a a sack position, and it's it's that against some other outside linebackers certainly certainly better. And I think Darius and Williams get get a nice value bump there as well. Uh, Nick, any any thoughts there on this Buffalo shift? Yeah, you know I think Marcel uh, Darius could be a good buy by low candidate right now. You know, I know Rex Ryan's defensive tackles haven't really been the most productive on paper, but this guy's so talented. He's only 25 years old. I think he could possibly reverse that trend. If not this year, then maybe a good uh, guy to just stash away for for uh, another year or two. All right, Mike, what do you think? You you got any of these Buffalo guys in any of your IDP teams? Uh, yeah, actually, I just pulled up one of my IDP teams. It's a sort of roto category scoring, and uh, I got Preston Brown at the linebacker position. Wanted to get your thoughts on him, what you think he can do this year. Um, is he a guy worth rostering? It's kind of a deeper league. Well, he stays in the middle, which is nice, and um, he – with the Kiko Alonso injury last year, obviously Alonso's moved on to Philadelphia now. Um, Brown was basically forced to play, and he grew up in a hurry. Um, I think everybody in Buffalo was very surprised by that. You know, he was kind of a late round flyer guy. I think he's from Louisville. I could be wrong. Or is it Louisville? Um, but I think he's still going to get the tackle volume. Like Sean said, he might be a little bit limited. He's not going to be a top 10 guy, but he could end up in the top 15 and I think I think you're still going to see him make a whole lot of plays they moved him around a little bit last year so he's got some good range and he knows kind of how the other linebacker positions work as well but he's the man in the middle now so uh, I, I think you can you could expect some good things from him even if it's not elite elite talent so um, and like I said we're going to go Sorry, I was going to say, if we could, while we're talking about this, while I have this pulled up, let me read you my – can I read you my defensive players and just want to get your thoughts, just maybe even a grade on on this team. Um, All right, so you start two, four, six – you start seven defensive players, two D linemen, two linebackers, two DBs, and then one flex. So I've got Demarcus Lawrence, J.J. Watt, Preston Brown – Jamie Collins, Nate Allen, Landon Collins, and Daryl Smith. Um, okay. All right. Um, Smith is obviously – that's the the Baltimore guy, right? Yes. 
Okay, yeah, he's a little up there in age, but he's he's a he's a great. That's going to be a great tackle volume. Um, I love just about anybody named Collins at this point, but so obviously I'm a big Landon Collins guy. Although uh, he's he's been a little nicked up during training camp, so I'm a little bit concerned about how he's going to start the season. But I still think he's he's the man. Um, Lawrence, I'm a little bit concerned with. Uh, how much they're going to use kind of a defensive line rotation there in Dallas. But I think he, with, with Hardy serving that suspension, I think Lawrence could end up leading that team in, uh, in sacks. So that, that could be a, a decent play there too. Um, who is your other D lineman? JJ Watt. Oh, JJ lineman. Yeah, well, we, yeah, JJ Watt. We, that's kind of, the, kind of a slam dunk there <laughs> that's uh um i'd say that's a pretty um obviously i want to say b plus but having jj watt there makes that an a minus because he just could just yeah he could be dominant each and every week and jamie collins is, is pretty pretty good there too um and then preston brown's going to get a whole lot of tackle volume so I, yeah i think he did a, a pretty good job there too um do you have any idea what round you got landon collins in there I'm just curious as a person that likes to reach for him. Let me see if I can pull it up. Uh, It is not telling me. Um, Yeah, I'm not seeing it off the top. That's all right. right. I I was just curious. Um, And then did you have another DB? Did I forget the other DB there? Uh, Nate Allen in Oakland. Nate Allen. I, I think he's in a good situation. I think anybody opposite uh, Charles Woodson could, uh, you know, see certainly see some uh, some targets come their way. And uh, he's the he's the free safety. So with, um, I guess I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're going to. I think you're going to see both him and Woodson kind of mix and match. They have they have the ability to them kind of switch switch back and forth depending on what side of the ball, what side of the field they think that ball is coming from. So I think you're going to both see them kind of play like a hybrid, strong safety depending on the situation. Uh, but I really like Allen because I think he'll, he'll create, you know, he'll be more of the back-end guy on a lot of situations. And I have some big concerns about Oakland's cornerback. So I think Allen could certainly be – uh, receive some some decent IDP numbers with that. So yeah, it's pretty good, pretty good, uh, pretty good squad there. Any any thoughts there, Nick, on that IDP squad? Uh, I think Josh, with your A minus, you hit the nail on the head. You know, anytime you have JJ Watt on your defense, that's you're going to have a good showing from your defense, even if everybody else is just average. But I think you have a pretty above average defense, JJ Watt aside. So yeah, A minus sounds good. And while we're on. On the defensive front, I think um, I did just pick up uh, Okafor and Newsom in DFW 16. So you guys, you guys missed out. I, I'm glad we talked about this today, and not not before the waiver deadline there. Uh, but uh, Marsh might be available if you need a defensive end. So there you go. Um, now, oh, like I guess we're going to skip best number 26. We'll get to that next week. And I'm sure Mike thinks it's Slavion Bell because he's a Pittsburgh guy. But uh, I need to do a little bit more research on that and 
We so we'll do that next week. But uh, well, we're going to end with a little something that we like to call uh, Nick Rants. And Mike, if you could, uh, I won't have you play the Nick Rants music. But there's a if you scroll down in the on to the audio side, there is a music clip called "Kids Sign Off." I'll have you play that at the end of the show there. If you want to find that here, why Nick's ranting for me. So uh, each and every week we do something that we call, like to call Nick Rants. Sometimes I call it Shots Fired, uh, and I like to call it the somewhat controversial Nick Rants. Sometimes controversial Nick Rants slash Shots Fired. So, Nick, what do you got for us this week? So maybe it's because of my background working in restaurants and seeing coworkers and friends mistreated by their employers. Not speaking of my current job, of course, but previously in the past. But <laughs> it, uh, it really rubs me the wrong way when teams are blatantly disrespectful of players. I know it's a business, but a couple of recent moves crossed the line for me. First, let's start in Buffalo. How do you wait until late August to cut a 34-year-old running back in Fred Jackson, who's played his whole career there in Buffalo, playing in 10 or more games every year since 2008? He deserved better. I mean, when on draft day, you added Carlos Williams to a backfield that already had McCoy, Bryce Brown, and Booby Dixon, who had over four yards per carry last year. So obviously you're not going to keep five running backs. You had to know that the 34-year-old was going to be the odd man out. You should have cut him right then when he could have found the best situation. He deserved better than that. And then hearing him say recently he would have done anything to retire a Buffalo Bill, that's just sad. And then you also have the debacle in D.C. where Robert Griffin gets benched after one bad preseason performance for a quarterback from Kirk Cousins who has a higher turnover ratio than any of the other fixed starting quarterbacks in 2013. But, you know, Griffin didn't complete a pass until almost halftime. Oh, wait, that was Colin Kaepernick that didn't complete a pass until almost halftime. And Kaepernick's not in danger of losing his job, even though his stats were worse than Griffin's last year. Uh, the completion percentage was uh, 60.5 compared to Griffin's 68.7% last year. Yards per attempt, Kaepernick had 7 compared to Griffin's 7.9. I mean, come on, Griffin had the best season of Redskins quarterbacks had in 20 years in 2012, and he's only 25 years old. You know, but since they're done with their broken toy, they should just do him a favor and release him before they completely crush his spirit, if it's not already too late for that. I know, again, it's a business, but show a little bit of respect for these guys who are putting their bodies on the line every play. What do you think, Josh? Well, it is a business. And, you know, I guess maybe Oakland did the right thing, cutting James Jones right after they drafted Amari Cooper. Um and he took him a while, but he did find his team. Um, but I also think you maybe have to play defense. And as much as I love Fred Jackson, and I don't like to see him get disrespected. And, uh, Nick, our mutual friend, Vani, had some choice words to say after that, which I cannot <laughs> repeat on there. Uh, but I think you have to, like, I mean, yes, you could do him the service and cut him right away. Um but cutting him now means that he's not going to go somewhere else, you know. You know, he doesn't have – no team really has time or room to sign him. So, you know, I mean, I wouldn't put it past the Patriots to nap him, even, you know, even though you don't want to get into that situation. But, uh, you know, he could – you know, he's been there all year or his whole career. You know, imagine the inside information he could give to a division opponent if he went somewhere else. Um, uh, but you also want to, you want the best competition in camp and, you know, 
while he's the man out now, I, I would I would imagine that he maybe pushed Williams and Brown to be a little bit better, and by then holding on him to him to the last possible minute, I think it's you know, so nobody else can basically uh, sign him. You know, it's not like he's a quarterback; he he knows the ins and outs of the scheme. But I I I don't know. It's, I still think it's a business, and you know that's that's how they're treated and the NFL has a history of treating players as such. And I, like I said, I totally, I totally love F Jackson and, and everything that he's done for that organization and me as a fantasy owner, obviously, but uh, it's a business and you have to, to treat it as such, even if it is uh, a little bit cutthroat and yeah, that, that RG three situation, I just don't know. Um, you know, Buffalo, or excuse me, Chicago did the same thing by cutting Tim Jennings. The guy's missed four games in five years. And uh, anybody have any idea who the other cornerback is besides Kyle Fuller? So, I mean, there's there's a couple cuts that surprise me, but I still think, yeah, unfortunately, it's a business, and that's how 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 it's handled. Uh, even though it's a team, not the NFL, making the decision. What, what do you think, Mike? I think that Buffalo is going to regret uh, releasing Fred Jackson. I, I think that Dixon and Brown are the definition of uh, of a jag, just a guy. So I think they're putting a lot on Carlos Williams stepping up as a rookie. And, you know, he's only been a running back for two years. He was a, a DB prior to that at Florida State. So I, I think with McCoy's hamstring injury, it, it sounds more serious than they were initially letting on. So they're really putting a lot of eggs in the Carlos Williams basket. I think it just would have been a smarter move to hold on to Fred Jackson and let him play out of his career there. I think he'll get picked up somewhere else and and contribute somewhere. If if I have him on any teams, I'm not dropping him just yet because I think he can hold on somewhere else. And as far as RG3, I think, uh, you know, Washington just needs to cut him and, and give him an opportunity somewhere else. He's just done in that organization with the expectations and the way that they've used him. I really feel like he needs a fresh start. And if he gets in the right situation, uh, I think he can be successful and uh, revive his career. But I think he's done in Washington. Um, Coincidentally, I think Fred Jackson was visiting Seattle today. And there has been some rumors that Oakland would be interested in RG3 if he was released. Um, so I guess it's RG3 versus Christian Ponder. <laughs> and I think I'd certainly go. I'd move on from Ponder at that point. And if you're wondering why Ponder is actually on a, a the, the, an NFL roster, even if you don't consider Oakland an NFL roster, I'm sure some of you might realize that sentiment. But uh, he was in Minnesota with Oakland's current offensive coordinator, Bill Musgrave. So he at least knows some of the ins and outs of the system. Obviously, I don't want to be in a situation like we were in 2002 when Tony Siragusa body slammed Rich Gannon into you know six feet under the ground and they had to watch Bobby Hoying run onto the field during the playoffs. I don't want to see that same type of situation with Christian Ponder. Hopefully it's Matt McGloin, but uh, you know what I'm saying. You don't want to. You don't want to be stuck in a weird situation where, oh yeah, that guy's our backup quarterback. But uh, so hey, it could be RG three. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously I'm pretty happy with Derek Carr. Kind of got off on a weird tangent there. But uh, yeah, uh, I think 
actually when when I heard about the Fred Jackson being cut, one of my one of my initial thoughts were where he would actually help a team. My first thought was Seattle, so, and I think uh, Robert Turbin has a has a pretty bad hamstring pull right now, so that's maybe why they're interested in him. Any any thoughts there, Mike, as a Fred Jackson owner, if you went to Seattle? Well, I think in Seattle, I, I was kind of puzzled as to why they'd bring him in. I mean, Christian Michael's been buried on that depth chart, uh, and, and I, I'm kind of optimistic that Lynch is, you know, he's got some left in the tank. So if he goes to Seattle, I mean, it's really just a pure backup role, and, and I don't think he'll contribute all that much. Um, I think I'd rather see him, you know, as a from a fantasy aspect, going somewhere like Oakland, but you know that that's just I don't really believe in Latavius Murray, um, and if Roy Hallou can't really uh, get the job done, I think he would have an opportunity to to be productive there. Yeah, that's not not a bad statement. I I feel like Hallou would play any type of role that we would bring Fred Jackson in for in that situation there. So Dallas has been on record as saying that they have no interest in Fred Jackson. But I think they may be recanted on that a little bit. But uh, I guess we'll see. Nick, any, any thoughts there on where, maybe where you think a good situation for Fred Jackson would be? Well, it just depends on where Fred Jackson's head is. If he's looking for playing time, I would say somewhere like Tennessee maybe, uh, possibly Cleveland. But if he's looking to actually go somewhere to try to win a championship now that he's towards the end of his career, then what better place than Seattle, right? Yeah, most definitely. Um Okay, well, that is that is all we have for you today. Um, uh, again, sorry for the, uh, the technical issues, but uh, I'm, I want it to be noted to everybody in the DFW committee that Mike Mike saved the day, and uh, even though we started a few minutes late, uh, Mike, thank you so much for, for helping us out and being involved in the podcast this week as you were going to be anyway, but thank you for, for really really saving the day. Uh, this has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I'm Joshua Johnson. Big thanks to uh, Aaron Freeman from FeltFans.com. Um, next week we're going to have Howard Bender from Fantasy Alarm. He is a very good friend to me and Nick's, and he is a hilarious man. And week one of the NFL season is starting tomorrow, so you don't want to miss that show. We're going to get you all primed with some predictions and then Chuck Podice is going to be stopping by. I'm going to get you some ATS picks. So that's that's going to be a whole lot of fun. So uh, once again, thank you so much, Mike, for for saving the day here. Uh, we are in your debt there. So thank you, Mike, and have a great day. Nick, you as well. Talk to you next week, buddy. Sounds good. Right. Thanks, guys. Mike, if you want to hit that clip, and we'll. After, after the end of that, just hit end episode and we will be done. It's rolling. <laughs>